Good afternoon, everyone. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 27, verses 13 through 33. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kada, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on, the, on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the, dock, run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ships and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Thanks, Beth. And also thanks, uh, Dave and Daniel, for uh, working out how to get online and to work sound and also the live streaming so that we can actually share this message with you as well. Today's message is a, a very important one because it's about what we do with fear and how we deal with anxious times. Right now, we're in the middle of, a, middle of an anxious time. I mean, this is kind of an unprecedented time for us in the world, really, of having uh, a virus that would cause this much havoc and this much concern and this much fear around the world. I mean, other viruses and other concerns have had this kind of fear, but nothing that has really immobilized the world so much. 
And so as we're kind of in this midst of this time, I mean, we see in society very different responses. You know, some would say, you know, worry and worry more. You know, wear a hazmat suit when you go outside. Start getting those doomsday kits and, and uh, prepare for the apocalypse because, you know, all's getting worse and it just, you know, be afraid and get, go crazy about it. But others we see are giving the opposite impression of, of just, oh, it's okay. No problem. Just take it easy. You know, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Everything will fork itself out. You know, don't worry. Be happy, basically. I don't know if they're saying be happy, but especially not worry. But in the midst of that, we see that the biblical answer to the question of how do we respond is really not either of those. It's not either go crazy, ah, get so scared. And it's not also like, eh, no problem, everything's fine. We see the third option really is instead of paranoia and, and uh, going to the nth degree with our fear or not acknowledging our fear at all, we see the third option is that we are called to have faith in the midst of fear. That's really the challenge for us, especially as faithful people. You know, just yesterday I was in the, um, out in the, the park and talking to a group of uh, parents about, you know, this, and they're just freaking out. I mean, I think probably for all of us, you know, the, the conversations we've been having this week are all about this. Like, what's going to happen? You know, is everything going to shut down? Where, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? How are we going to get toilet paper? You know, all these things. I mean, I think Jonas, who might be listening on now, said last night on Facebook he took two hours to find toilet paper last night, which is just crazy. Because the Midwood Deli has toilet paper, actually. So if you need toilet paper, they got it. He said, we're stocked. We're only giving out two or three rolls, but we're, we are stocked and ready to sell those. So that's at least good. One, one hopeful note in the midst of uh, a frustrating situation. But in the midst of it, I'm sure you've had these conversations where it's just kind of like you just keep the intensity going up and up and up until you leave going, you know, I don't even know what to do. Like my friend, when we were in this group after we left, she said, like, I just can't even breathe right now. I just feel so scared and worried about everything. And in the scriptures, we see that we're, we're called to have appropriate fear. We're not called to just run off a cliff if, you know, going, God's going to save me, because we're also called to have wisdom as well. But in the midst of this, we are called to have this other response, which is faithfulness, which is a sense of, of God is in control. I mean, there's always two choices, really, when we think about our response to fear in the, in the scripture, and that is either anxiousness or faithfulness. When we're anxious, we, are, we get really self-focused and internal. When we're anxious, we try to either avoid the anxiety or we, we just get overwhelmed by the anxiety. Anxiousness causes us to, uh, you know, it hurts our health, it hurts our relationships with others, it hurts our relationships with God. But ultimately, faithfulness does not cause us to deny the problem, but it causes us to face it with faith hope, and love. And we can see that in our passage today. Paul was faced with the worst moment of his life, and he responded with faith, hope, and love. So we're going to look at that, about how we can respond. Uh, we see three, three possibilities of response in this passage. First, he says, do not be afraid, which is faith, have faith. And then he says, take courage, have courage, which is really hope, hope in God. And then lastly, he says, take and eat, which is really love, 
take care of yourself, take care of others as well. So we're going to look at those three, um, those three responses as a way that we can also respond in the midst of fearful situations that we're in about this virus, but also just that we're facing um, in other areas of our life as well. So let's firstly look at the first exhortation Paul gives, which is, do not be afraid. And also, as we kind of go through that, I want to just encourage you, for those of you at home, and also here as well, um, I've given you some questions just to think about. And through the sermon, I'm going to kind of put these up, and you can write these down. They're also on the online bulletin. And these are just for you to reflect upon as we go through the sermon as well. And those of you who are here as well can, can reflect upon these as well. So as we kind of go on, just want you to think about, what am I worried about right now? And how am I responding to my fear and worry? So those are just questions for you to self-reflect on as we go through the sermon. So as we go on to the first exhortation, do not be afraid. We see that this seems like maybe like a trite exhortation because Paul was literally at the bottom at this point. This is in the end of Acts, at the end of Paul's story. Paul went from being at the heights of his ministry, reaching, you know, thousands of people for Christ, going into unknown territories and sharing the gospel. He had good friends and disciples. He had a thriving ministry. He had uh, influence and respect. He had freedom to go wherever he wanted. But now we see all that's gone. Paul is in prison. He is on a prison ship going to Rome where he's going to be tried and possibly killed. And we see that he's in the midst of this time where to add insult to injury, on this ship as he's going to Rome, there's this massive storm that happens that throws them off. This storm was called a nor'easter because it was a storm with hurricane winds. And we read in the passage that it lasted for 14 days and took them so far off course that they had no idea where they were. They were. And they were running out of food and water and basically at the end of their rope. I mean, Luke describes it this way. He says that when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was lost. Now just think about that for Luke to say that. Luke is a disciple of Jesus Christ. He trusts Christ. He had seen our experience with the, with the whole church at that time, Christ being risen from the dead, and now he is saying all hope was lost. I mean, this was a dire situation. I mean, I don't know if any of us have been in a situation like that where all hope was lost, where you were sure you were going to die. I know I've never been in that kind of situation. But they were in this situation where Luke is basically saying, we are dead. Like, this is, our life's over. Like, we are done. But then in the midst of that, everybody's, I'm sure, freaking out. You know, the sailors are calling for their gods. Um, the prisoners are, yeah, calling out for anybody to help them. And then in the midst of this, Paul is just calm. He's just calm. And he tells them why in verses 23 through 24. He says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. For you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you those who sail with you. And he says this to this group of non-Christian pagan sailors. 
They do not believe in this God. They do not know this God. They have no experience with this God. But all of a sudden, Paul is just saying, the God with whom I belong has said, you don't have to be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. You can just imagine that they'd be like, what are you, you just went crazy. (laughs) The storm drove you crazy. But I'm sure they have this sense of, well, he's the most confident one on on the ship. You know, maybe we should listen to him. And the word that Paul was given this day, that day, do not fear, is really a word that the scriptures give all throughout the whole Bible. I mean, we see that word from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible. Whenever angels meet with humans or God comes down and meets with human beings, the first word is do not fear. And I think this is such an important word for us because fear is is such an easy emotion for us to feel. It's an emotion that is appropriate for us to feel because we live in a dangerous world. I mean, we see that now with the virus. As we live in this kind of bubble of kind of safety, we think we're fine, but then the world reminds us that this is a dangerous place to live. Since Adam and Eve left the garden, the earth has not been a welcoming, kind place to human beings. It's been a dangerous place for human beings. And even with our technology and with all of our medical advances, we're reminded occasionally that this is a dangerous place to live. This is dangerous for all of us to live. The world, you know, like when you go out in the, um, you know, the jungle or the woods or something, sometimes you're reminded of like, this place, there's a lot of things that can kill me here. (laughs) I was just watching like um, uh, the uh, trailer for The Jungle Book, that new movie that's coming out with Evan. And basically, The Rock, who is, I can't remember his name in the, in the Jungle Book, but he said, basically, everything here can kill you. <laughs> and it's true. That there's a, the world is a dangerous place at times, and it can be for us, and we've all experienced that as well. And the word phobos, the Greek word that Paul uses here, is a word that actually describes the feeling that someone or something is dangerous and will cause you harm and that you're in danger or in a place that can hurt you. So the word for fear is a, is a real word that describes something that can hurt you, something that you should take um, note of. It is healthy fear. Healthy fear is an actual or perceived danger that requires immediate action. And that's what phobos means. So healthy fear is something that doesn't produce shame because it's something, you know, if you are in danger of falling off a cliff, you want to take um, steps so you don't fall off that cliff. That is, that is healthy fear. You should be afraid of the cliff. You should not want to fall off the cliff. But often we experience unhealthy fear as well. It is an exaggerated concern over things we can't control that paralyzes us and makes us feel ashamed or less than ourselves. And even in the midst of healthy fear, we can start to feel this unhealthy fear. This exaggerated concern over things we can't control. There's a time, I think, in all of our lives where we look at the things around us and go, what can I change and what can I not change? And the things we cannot change, ultimately, we need to accept and say, okay, I'm just going to have to accept this reality that this is the reality of my life now. But often that fear and anxiety comes with this exaggerated concern over things we can't control. I mean, that doesn't just happen with the virus, but it happens with all kinds of things in our life. Does this person like me? 
Do, are they, do these friends really care about me? Are they really for me? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're not. Are they talking about me behind my back? I don't know. Causes this exaggerated concern that paralyzes us. Does my boss like me? Is my, am I doing enough at my job? I don't know. Things like that happen all the time for us. And in the midst of it, it can just paralyze us. And so when we see the call to faithfulness in the midst of um, fear, we're called to put our hope in God in the midst of our unhealthy fears. That's really how we are called to, to trust that God is with us, regardless of the things we're worried about, that are either true or untrue in our life, and just trust in God and hope for God for our clarity and not for the things around us. One example of this that I always remember is um, from an ethicist named John Cavanaugh. He's an American ethicist who's written a lot of books, and, and he wrote uh, one time of going to the houses of the dying in Calcutta, India, to meet with Mother Teresa before her death. Now, if, if you know about Mother Teresa, she basically worked with lepers in India, with the worst of the worst, and she, she cared for them. She and her sisters of mercy, they basically took people in that no one would take in, and they cared for them. Well, this, this ethicist, John Cavanaugh, wanted to go to India to get some clarity about his life. He had been going through some struggles in his life, some, some issues that had been uh, really hard for him. So he thought, Mother Teresa, she's got the answers. I'm going to go check it out because she always seems so poised and hopeful. And she works with this, the worst of the worst situation. I'm going to go check it out. So he met Mother Teresa and he wrote about this. He asked, he, uh, Mother Teresa, when he, when he met her, she asked him, what can I do for you? And he said, you know, I want you to pray for me. I, I need help in my life. I need clarity. I need to know what I'm supposed to do. And she said, but what do you really want me to pray for you for? And he said, you know, I want clarity in my life. And she responded, I'm not going to pray for you about clarity. Clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and you must let go of. And that let uh, led John Kavanaugh to be really confused. Like, why won't you pray that things will become clear? Why won't you pray that I will have a clear understanding of what to do? And she responded, I have never had clarity, but what I have always had is faith and trust. So I will pray that you trust God. I think often in the midst of our fears, we want clarity. We want like to know the answer. What should I do? You know, the, this kind of virus is so like maddening to us because we don't know really what to do. We don't know how to stop it. Like it would be easy if we said, okay, just do one, two, three, four. But then you find out, well, people who do that still get the virus and they still transmit the virus. And it just, you know, drives us to, to greater fear because we don't know what to do. We don't have clarity. And that happens in a lot of areas of our life in different ways. We just want clarity. We want to know, what am I supposed to do in my life? Where am I supposed to go in my life? How am I supposed to do it in my life? Who am I supposed to hang out with my life? Who am I going to marry in my life? How am I going to be happy and successful in my life? All of these things, we want clarity. But clarity rarely comes in our life. But instead, as Christians especially, instead of praying for clarity, we're called to pray for trust. 
and faith. That we can go, I'm going to trust God in the midst of my fear. And that doesn't lead us away from the issues and struggles we have. If anything, it leads us to those. It leads us towards them in a different way. We're not afraid of them anymore. We might go, I need a job. I'm out of a job and I need a job. It can cause us so much fear that we're paralyzed by unhealthy fear. We can't move. But faithfulness causes us to take a step forward going, I'm not afraid. God's with me. In life and in death, he's with me. Okay, I'm going to seek these jobs. I'm going to deal with the struggles. I'm going to deal with my own insecurities and worries and things like that. And that's what we are called to pray for. Not for clarity, but for trust. So I encourage you as you kind of go on with the sermon to think about where are you being called to trust God right now? Where are you being called out of clarity and into trust? And what does it mean for you to not be afraid? So the encouragement not to be afraid leads us to a response, and the response is courage. In this passage, we see Paul uh, three times calling the crewmates to courage. He says to them, But now I encourage you to keep up with your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed, so keep up your courage. So this is the response for Paul. If we don't have to be afraid, then we can have courage. Now, courage is the ability to do something that frightens us. It's strength in the midst of pain and grief. And we are encouraged when we have nothing to be afraid of. Suddenly, we can have courage. We can do what we're afraid of. And the root of courage is really hope. Hope is what calls us to have courage. If we don't have hope, we can have no courage. If I have no hope a situation might change, I will not go and try to change it. I just won't. If I have no hope that someone will be caring of me or or love me, I will not seek to get their love. And in the same way, if I don't have hope that in the midst of, you know, this virus scare that we can have a fulfilling life and a faithful life, I will not seek God. I will not call on God if I have no hope that he will help us. But there's a difference between optimism and hope. And this is something I think we miss. Because optimism does not lead us to courage. Optimism does not lead us to taking that step out and doing what we fear. Henry Nouwen describes the difference between optimism and hope in a way that I appreciate. He says this, Optimism is the expectation that things will get better. So that's optimism. Things are going to get better, everyone. It's going to be fine. And you hear optimism a lot right now, just with people trying from our president to other people saying, it's going to be fine. It's getting better. Everything's going to, don't worry, it's going to be fine. But hope is a different thing altogether. Hope is trust that God will fulfill God's promises to us in a way that leads to true freedom. Can you see the difference between optimism and hope? Hope has no kind of end, end promise. The end promise is, that, is not that everything's going to get better. The hope in being hopeful in our heart is that God's going to fulfill his promises to us. What is God's promise to us? He will save us from life, from death and the devil. That he will give us new life in him. That he will be with us always. That death has lost its sting. All of these promises, that's our hope. So the difference of this is when we are optimistic, if things don't go the way we want them to, 
we are broken. There's nothing to hope for anymore. We're, our optimism has been shattered if things do not get better. But if we hope, then if things stay hard, we still have this reservoir of, of hope that God is working, he's fulfilling his promises, whether I see it or not, and I can walk into that even in dark situations in my life. So that's what we're called to seek, not optimism, but hope. Hope that God is going to fulfill his promises to us in a way that leads to freedom. You know, one, one uh, example of this is, you know, I have a friend who uh, was going through a really hard time in his marriage, like to the point that they were getting divorced. And he was describing to me that for a long time he had optimism, that things are going to get better, we're going to just work it out, it's going to be fine. But things weren't getting better, and it just led him to a deep depression. But as he was praying and, and, um, and discerning, he, he was kind of brought to hope that God's going to fulfill his promises in his life in a way that leads to freedom. And it may not resolve in a happy ending. It may stay dark. And so that led him to just kind of hope that God's going to work out his will in his wife's life and his life. And he should seek that. And so instead of seeking, hey, let's make everything better, he sought, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be graceful. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving. And that actually led him to a whole different response to the whole issue in his relationship. Instead of constantly trying to make everything better, like I'll do whatever I can to make it better, he thought, I'm going to pray for my wife. I'm going to be faithful to her. I'm going to, I'm going to be graceful to her. I'm going to learn what it means to sacrifice my life to her. And that ultimately, ultimately led to a greater reconciliation in their relationship than if he was just trying to be optimistic that everything would be better, let's just make it better. And so for us as Christians, we have this deep reservoir of, of hope that's given to us in Jesus Christ. And so as we dive into that hope, then we can, have, we can start developing courage. We can start stepping into the, the dark places and the hard places and not, not hide from them, not avoid them, not uh, be angry at them, but just face them in love and hope. So a question for you in the midst of that is, in what ways can you practice hope and courageousness in the midst of your fear? Just think about that in your life. I encourage you to think about that. Which, way, which places in your life right now are you uh, trying to be optimistic, but really you need hope? And out of that hope, how can you step into your fear in a courageous way in this next week? or a couple weeks, or a month. And so we're, we're led from faith, do not be afraid, hope, be courageous, to the last part, which is love. Paul gives them an incredibly practical uh, exhortation here. So we see that after Paul says, everything's going to be great, you know, don't be afraid, have hope, God's with us, the storm does not end at all. If anything, it gets worse. We see them jettisoning food. They're getting rid of all their cargo. I mean, they're really at the end of, you know, their, their rope here. Things did not get better after he said, do not be afraid. 
So they're still fighting this, and it says in the passage that no one was sleeping. Everybody was just so concerned about keeping the, 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 the boat off you know, the, the shallow waters, keeping it afloat, all these things. And so in the midst of that, Paul says to them, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish on your head of any of you. Now, isn't that a very, like, pra- I mean, that's such a practical exhortation. Hey, guys, eat. Eat some food. Make sure you're eating. <laughs> I mean, it's something like your mother would tell you, right? Make sure you're eating. Make sure you eat your lunch and your dinner and, you know, eat well. And Paul is doing that as well. And that's such an encouragement, I think, for us in the midst of fear. Because Paul is saying, attend to the small things. Once we're, I mean, you know what happens when you're anxious. You know, you can't sleep. You're, you're super hyper-focused on this thing or that thing. Like, you, get, you start getting paranoid and, and start, you know, blowing it up to in huge proportions. And we can't just focus on the little things. Often when you're anxious, your physical health just goes down. I mean, there are studies that show that people who are habitually anxious, they live less they have less happiness in their life. Um, ultimately, they get more diseases and more illnesses. Anxiety definitely connects with our, our emotional health and our physical health. So Paul here is giving a very practical um, exhortation, just eat. And that's something when we think about how we love others. So we talked about faith, we talked about hope, and now we're talking about love. We love others by taking care of ourselves. And especially if you think of yourself in, in this time, you know, whether you are reacting to the virus in the, the first way I mentioned a while back of, of hoarding food in toilet paper, or you're responding in the other way of like, ah, it's fine, no problem's gonna blow over, no big deal. I'll wash my hands sometimes, maybe. No matter how you're responding to this anxiety or other anxieties, here's a few ways that we can love others by taking care of ourselves. First way, begin and end the day with contemplative prayer. When we pray sometimes, we can just pray, God, help us, God, please, God, we need your help, God. But a way to start our day in an intentional way is to start by just being with God. Contemplative prayer is a way of just being with God. It's the kind of prayer when we're not just talking to God, but we're actually just receiving and sitting with God. It's just kind of sitting in silence for a few moments or reading a scripture and then just saying, God, what do you want me to know about this passage? Or, or just spending a few moments just going, God, I praise you. Just praise you. Just sitting there and just being with God. And that has an effect on us. If we do that every day and every night, it begins to calm us. It focuses us. It roots our day in hope rather than optimism or despair. So I encourage you to do that, just to take some time in your day, in the morning when you get up, and in the end, just maybe to take five minutes where you are, are not you know, asking God for something, but just saying to God, God, thank you for being here. God, thank you that you are with me. Thank you that you are Lord. Just take a few moments to do that. And as you do that, another way that we can um, focus on God is just breathe. 
You know, it's interesting how often the scriptures talk about breathing and breath. You know, the, in the beginning of, uh, in Genesis, uh, the spirit is described as the breath of God over the waters. And so breathing is a really important thing. I mean, if you notice when you're anxious, kind of what happens. We get sh- very shallow breath. <sighs> you get really worried about things. But just taking a deep breath in, And a deep breath out just calms us. It just focuses us. I encourage you to do that, especially when you are anxious. Just take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And you can do it in a way that is prayerful as well. One way you can do it is just as you breathe in, go, grace, distractions. Or God's love within me, I give out my sin. Just some way of saying, I, I breathe in God's grace and I breathe out my sin or shame or I breathe out my anxieties. Breathe in God's goodness. Breathe out the evil around me. That's just a way for us to focus on God in the midst of our day. Other ways, and this applies to the virus but also other things, is to limit your social media scrolling. All of us know, I mean, I, I even feel this the last few days, like just looking through social media, hearing everyone freaking out about uh, the virus just makes me more scared. And I'm like, what's going to happen? Oh, really? Is everything going to shut down the whole world? You know, like, and, and it might. But still, the, when we get on social media too much about things, it just kind of exacerbates our anxiety. And in the same way, avoid trauma bonding. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, trauma bonding. But it is something that I'm sure you've experienced where people get together and they have these anxious conversations and the conversation gets bigger and bigger and you start making scapegoats and other reactions. And that's something that happens with any kind of crisis. People get together and they start trauma bonding. And you feel good at first because it's like you're talking with other people about this, you're sharing, but after a while it can get unhealthy. You know, I mentioned before, I was uh, met with a group of parents yesterday, and, and they were definitely trauma bonding for like two hours. And it was getting to the point where I was like, I need to take a step away from this conversation. <laughs> it is getting too much for me. I'm like getting too anxious about this. Because it's not that we're solving the problems of the world. We didn't change anything that's happening, and we didn't actually gain any kind of new insights into what to do to make things better. We just kind of took each other down a rabbit hole, down and down and down. So one thing to avoid is this trauma bonding. Focus on uh, healthy conversations where you share clear feelings, needs, and requests. And also, lastly, just get a good night's sleep. I mean, it's just funny how anxiety can lead us away from sleep. We need sleep. God has made us for rest. Sabbath, rest, sleep. And if we do those things, then we can be present to those who who need our care. I mean, we need to care for ourselves so that we can love others as well. There are many people in need in this time. And we need to be encouraged to think about how can we help those who are in need. Many people who are just shut in their houses because they might be elderly, they're afraid to go out. How could I be of service? People you know, you don't have to look too far to see a need. Just look around you. But before you do that, make sure you are eating so that you can feed someone else. As we remember, Paul gave this exhortation in the midst of the storm. This was not after everything was done. This was in the midst of the storm. And so our encouragement 
in the midst of the storms we're facing right now is to also take that encouragement to not be afraid, to take courage and to eat, to care for yourselves and for others. You know, just a few nights ago, Evan woke up, and uh, my son, and he was afraid. He had a nightmare. And he was kind of half awake and half asleep. Um, and kids, you know, do this a lot. And so he just cried out. It kind of startled Catherine and I. We ran to the bedroom like, did he fall off the bed or something? And he was just sitting up and kind of half asleep, but kind of just really afraid of something, like shaking. And, you know, it was just so awesome to see just my wife kind of come on the bed and just kind of hold him for a while. And after a while, he just fell back to sleep. You know, at that time, Eben, in the midst of his fear, he did not need me to go and say, Eben, actually, you have nothing to be afraid of. That was just a dream, you know. Um, really, you know, there are no monsters in the room. There are no boogeymen in the closet. Nothing is really, this is, all a, this is all just fake, you know, just believe in the facts. It wouldn't help him. He doesn't need that. He needed to be loved out of his fear. And as we think about just in closing, kind of what we need, we don't need more facts. We've got the facts. We need to be loved out of our fears. And the love of God in Jesus Christ is there for you, waiting for you to love you out of your fear. Not to lead you to denial and avoidance, but to lead you to courage, to face your fear. But we can only face our fear when we know that God is the Lord of heaven and earth and that God loves you and is with you even now. So I encourage you in the midst of whatever anxiety and fear you're facing to take encouragement from God, to hold on to uh, hope and hold on to courage that God is with you. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, in the midst of this time, uh, so many of our friends and family and us just feeling really anxious. And we know, Lord, that we are called to wisdom in this time. We're called to wisdom to be loving to our neighbors and to be caring for ourselves. And part of that wisdom is not meeting in large groups. It is not having large worship services so that uh, community spread cannot happen as easily. That's a way we love our neighbors. So Lord, help us to be led to wisdom in our response and not to fear. In those moments that we're led to fear, Lord, would you help us to, to see the great reserve of courage and hope that we have within us through your Holy Spirit? That we have the hope, Lord, that you are going to fulfill your promises. You're going to do it. It might happen through the storm and in the storm, but you are doing it even now. And help us, Lord, to be led to hope out of that. That leads us, Lord, to take care of ourselves and take care of others. And ultimately, Lord, be drawn to the courage that you are the lover of our soul. And you're loving us out of our fears even now. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for everyone out there, Lord, that is listening and is here with us worshiping. Lord, I pray for them that they might be drawn out of fear and into faith. Thank you, Lord God, in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, continue to worship together.